What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, and welcome to another podcast. This is Something Rhymes with Purple. It's really half an hour or so where we celebrate the English language because we love it. The we involved is me, Giles Brandreth, and my friend... Susie Dent. And today we're speaking to you from London, England, where Susie has come with a cup of tea, but it's... What's it? doesn't look like real tea. What's the flavour? Oh, can you not smell it? It's ginger and lemon. Ginger and lemon? Yeah. And good tonic for the soul. Very good. Whenever I think of lemon and ginger, which is most of us think of it as lemon and ginger. Okay, you le- them, yes, you're right. It reminds me how important commas are. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, it's just reminded me of something I'm going to have to come to at some point today. It's, a, it's a process called ablaut reduplication, but you have to wait for the example. Ablaut redu- reduplication. Well, let me tell you about the importance of the comma first. Okay. As you know, I did a. a wrote a book called Have You Eaten Grandma? Yes. All about the importance of punctuation and traditional grammar. And of course, Have You Eaten Grandma? Without the comma after Have You Eaten could mean Have You Eaten Grandma? Uh, Nan, have you had your tea yet? Or it means Have You Eaten Grandma? Good grief. Are you some sort of um, cannibal? Well, the same can be said with a list of words, whether or not you put a comma before the final and. Mm, The Oxford comma. The Oxford comma, so-called because it's favoured by Oxford University Press. Yes, it's our house style. I use it all the time. And there is a reason for it. A lot of people say it's completely unnecessary, but lemon and ginger is a good example of why it is necessary. What are your favourite teas? Well, I like orange. I like... Chamomile. Chamomile. Green. I like lemon and ginger. If you put a comma after lemon, then it's I like lemon and I like ginger. But if you don't put a comma after the lemon, it's lemon and ginger. It would be, yes. So you'd have, I like chamomile, green, pico, comma, and lemon and ginger. Yes. Yes. Ex- ah. You need the comma before that. Final, as well. That before the penultimate and. So that's the importance of the Oxford comma. Uh, but ginger... I have to mention ablaut reduplication, which has nothing to do with the subject of today at all. Although, actually, it does a little bit. So, two-fingered chocolate bar. What would you call it? (laughs) Please. Up yours? I don't know. The two-fingered chocolate bar. Yes, the famous one. Kit Kat. Yes, Kit Kat. You could never call it a cat kit, could you? You couldn't call it a cat kit. Just as you couldn't play a game of Pong Ping or walk in a zagzig, um, dally-dillying. No. Or shally shillying. None of that. And that goes back to an ancient law, which I've been writing about, called ablaut reduplication, where it's not really a law because we've decided it ourselves. But we instinctively put the i sound, as in pit, or the e sound, as in c, before we put the o or the a. So ding dong. It can never be dong ding. Seesaw. Never can be saw C. Exactly. That's Isn't that amazing? Right. And we've been doing it for centuries and it also exists in other languages. It's all about sound, we think, but it's a bit of a, a mystery. I love it. Well, we mustn't shilly-shally any further. No, shilly-shally. Our theme today, yeah. because if you're new to our podcast, welcome. We hope you like it. If you do, please tell your friends, is brand names, brands, words that are associated with different products that become part and parcel of the language. Kit Kat 
is a good example. I wonder yes. what the origin of that you is. No, I think I may have looked this up and I couldn't quite get to the. There was a famous Kit Kat club, so wasn't there? Louche, ah. gentleman of the 18th century, mm-hmm. went to join the Kit Kat club. Okay. I seem to remember they met in caves. People like Lord Byron, loosely associated with the Kit Kat club. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the origin of it. Well, if you know, two legs. I don't know. If if you know, and obviously we don't know, feel free to let us know. You can get in touch with us. Um, you can tweet us or email us at purple at something else dot com, and tell us if you do know it the true origin of the Kit Kat. I do know that the Mars bar yes. is named after Mister Mars. Mars exactly, which is extraordinary. And that's why all the rifts with the galaxy and the Milky Way, right? They all came from Mr. Mars, because there wasn't a Mr. Milky Way who invented the Milky Way, but there was a Mr. Mars. What do you know about brand names? How old are they? How long have they been going? What's the phenomenon all about? Well, I'm not not an expert on the history, but we have been doing it for a long time. In fact, didn't you say that your family actually had hand in this, Giles? They did. I know... Uh, there are people listening thinking, oh, God, you're always going to get back to all that. Oh, <laughs> dearie me. Oh, goodness. But the truth is my great-great-great-grandfather, called Benjamin Holmes, he arrived in America calling himself Dr. Benjamin Brandreth. He was not a doctor. He was a Brandreth on his mother's side. But he called himself that because he was taking to America some pills that he, his maternal grandfather had made that were homeopathic remedies, little vegetable pills that cured everything and anything he claimed. And he made a major fortune, was one of the richest people in America by the time he died in the 1880s. Dr. Brandreth's pills, he came up with the idea of a tin of the pills that always looked the same. Mm. And he advertised them with the print Dr. Brandreth's pills in the same typeface. What was in them? What was in them? Herbs. Oh. He he grew vegetables. Oh, so he did believe in their efforts. Totally believed oh, okay. in them. And people swore by them. And they sold in their mega millions. And he had an office in New York and he pioneered the hoarding. He was the first person to have advertising hoarding in New York. Great big sign saying Dr. Brandreth's pills. Mm. And they became so famous that, that, I mean, in, for example, Moby Dick, written by Herman Melville, mm-hmm. the characters there are taking Dr. Brandreth's pills. Oh. They became house, a household word. Everybody had heard of Dr. Dr. Brandreth's pills. So he was a pioneer. Not of connected branding. to the word brand, which actually goes back to the branding of cattle um, and the idea that just as you would brand something eternally on the skin, you would um, engrave something on your mind, you know, mm-hmm. so that it becomes instantly memorable and forever memorable. Well, like Mr. Mars, like James Dyson. Mr. Mm. Dyson, you think mm-hmm. of uh, Hoover was a real person. But we still don't talk about Dysoning the carpet. It's not become a generic verb, has it? Which, of course, is the pinnacle of a brand name when it actually becomes embedded in the language, although it then loses its trademark status. So it's a kind of, you know, double edged sword. Well, that's interesting because I, I, for some years, was a director of the company that made the game Scrabble. Mm. And uh, I founded the National Scrabble Championships. I'm the president of the Association of British Scrabble players. But there was lots of problems we had with people wanting to use the word Scrabble as saying it now entered the language. Mm. But it hadn't. We felt we were still protecting it. But because Scrabble also is, a, is an English a word, scrabbling anyway. around, yeah. that was what the dispute was over. Uh, and I think the agreement was that if it's Scrabble with a capital S... You can't use it, particularly right. if you're trying to pass it off as a kind of word game. Yes. But scrabbling certainly is you, yeah. legitimate. Absolutely. Well, it's the same. Google, in some ways, although 
that, you know, the verb Google did not exist. Google did as a number, but not Google. It kind of straddles the trademark fence. So as a noun, Google is still a trademark, but you can Google something and that has a lowercase g. So that is now in the dictionary and not trademarked. The verb. It's an amazing achievement. I mean, to create a brand that people really value, like Nike Mm. is an interesting one, Mm. because I see people wearing sports gear and sports shoes with the Nike symbol on, the word Nike, and I know they've paid two, three, four, maybe ten times what I've paid for what looks and feels like exactly the same product. But it doesn't have the swish. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Nike is an invented name. There wasn't a Mr. Nike, was there? No, in fact, I think the company was called Blue Ribbon Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was that from its founding. It's Greek the... mythology. Oh, is it? Yes. So Nike is the goddess of victory. Ah. Um, so she's the winged goddess, really. She was the daughter of Pallas, was it? A titan? Pallas Athena? Styx? No. No, no. Oh, Yes. Possibly. Gosh, I need to brush up on my mythology. But um, yeah, she's the winged goddess of victory, which of course makes sense for a sports company. So there we are. It was Blue Ribbon Sports. It became Nike. That's hugely powerful. Among the older companies, a company founded in my great-great-grandfather's time, I think, was Coca-Cola. Coca and Cola, they're two real words. Coca is from cocaine, isn't it? And in the early days, wasn't there a little element of cocaine in Coca-Cola, in the mix? Right Ooh, at the beginning. That would be really interesting. I know it, it began when a colonel who was wounded in the Civil War became addicted to morphine and he wanted to find a sort of less evil substitute, if you like. Well, it's obviously not evil in certain contexts. But his recipe included the cola nut, the African cola nut, which is what gives the Coca-Cola the caffeine. Um, It's interesting you should mention cocaine there, actually, because heroin originally was the trade name that the German pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company Bayer used for that particular medicine. And it was marketed as a cough remedy made from a supposedly non-addictive morphine substitute. Can you believe that? Or morphine derivative, at least. Um, And heroin is from the German word heroisch, meaning powerful. And of course, you know, people say that's exactly what heroin makes you feel. And then, of course, opiates then began to be regulated, etc. And it shifted entirely from that kind of trademark uh, or name, which is quite an interesting one. The thing about Coca-Cola is, that, and it relates to these names as well, there are myths about them. Is it true that if you put a tooth inside a oh, glass of yes. Coca-Cola or clean overnight... Your with it? I don't know. I mean, is this true? You put a, an, an old coin and it comes up shiny new. Quite possibly. What I do think is true is that tree-bore mints, when I was a child, I loved a tree-bore mint. Mm. And I do know because, of course, you and I, we love anagrams, we love rearranging letters. We see the word Monday... We're recording this on a Monday for Tuesday morning. Monday, we look at those letters, we rearrange them immediately into the word dynamo. Mm-hmm. I see Trebor and I know it's Robert backwards. Mm. And that excites me that the company that made Trebor mints was originally called Robertson and Woodcock. That was changed when they moved to Trebor House. They thought, let's keep it simple, let's name it after one of our products in Upton Park in London. And the Trebor part of it appealed to Mr. Robertson as, of course, it was part yes, of his I name. Yes, I think it was already called Trebor House, but he liked it because it was reverse of his name. I think that's the way it ah, goes. I think. Oh, well. But mm. there you are. Uh, well, 
I, we're saying this, but we're not sure if it's true or not. So that myths do attach to these oh, yes. names as well. Yes, so many are apocryphal. I can tell you about PG Tips. Oh, please. So for any non-British people listening, PG Tips is one of our most famous tea brands. And the PG, I never thought about this, but it was first called Pre-Gest Tea because it was a pre-digestive, if you like. It was supposed to aid oh. digestion of the food that followed. Similarly... I was having a full veggie English breakfast yesterday. Bottle of HP sauce, another very British institution mm. on the table. I never knew that the HP stood for... Houses of Parliament? I never knew that, even though there's a picture of the Houses of Parliament on the bottle. Harold Wilson, when he was Prime Minister, in every photograph taken of him in domestic setting, always had a bottle of HP sauce on the table, even sort of at number Amazing. 10, in order to show that he was a man of the people. My full English has been slightly... But I don't have dairy now very much at all. Um, so actually, HP sauce went down a, a dream. So thanks to the hazards. Do you know the origin of Fanta? As in the no, drink? No, I don't. Well, apparently during the Second World War, Nazi Germany was subject to a number of trade embargoes, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And because of the lack of raw materials and ingredients, the head of Coca-Cola Deutschland was a man called Max Keith, he decided to create a new drink for the German market using whatever they had, you know, the leftovers of the leftovers. And the, the name comes from the German word for imagination. Fantasie. Fantasie. That's ah, the origin of Fanta. I didn't know that. That's lovely. I, I say this. Well, yes. It, who knows? Is it an urban myth that I've well, picked up over the years? I was just looking at my notes for this one and, and remembering this one and thinking, really, can this be true? But I love it. The origin of car brand names, which are pretty global, aren't they, by now? Yeah. But apparently one of the reasons that to Toyota cars are so named is because Toyota in Japanese is written with eight strokes that symbolises good fortune. Well, the actual surname of the founder of the company was Toyota, which is written with ten strokes, but that's considered to be less lucky. So they call it Toyota. I love that. I don't know if it's true or not, but I love it. Well, um, I've got another one that you'll love. Okay. Again, we're not quite sure how true these are. A Puma and Adidas, uh, Rudolf and Adolf Dassler, two brothers, they fell out during the Second World War, set up rival companies. Ruda became Puma and Adidasla became Adidas. Uh -huh. there, there's a, uh, I do know there is a myth, a kind of urban myth. There's an acronym, All Day I Dream About Sports. Uh, which acronym. Is, yeah, yeah, we love acronyms. For Adidas, but that, that is an urban myth. Can I tell you about another car one? Yes. Audi. Audi, you know what that means in Latin? Listen, here. Yes, I listen. That is a pun on the founder of Audi's name, Horsch, which means I hear in German. Isn't that great? You see, it's all about the it's all about the owner and flattering the owner. IKEA was named after the first letters of the founder and the Swedish ah. village he belonged to. His name was uh, Ingvar Kamprad, and he grew up in Elmatirid, uh, Agun Agunnari, <laughs> somewhere like that. Anyway. Yes. Uh, so that gives you I K E A. Ah. Yeah. I like that. Is it's... it time for a break, do you reckon? And then I must come back and tell you about Frisbees. Oh, do. And I want to tell you about Lego. Ooh. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... Uh, uh, This is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out when he discovers that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. (laughs) Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple, where we're having a lot of fun relaying what may be apocryphal stories, but we hope not, about the origins of brand names. And Giles, I promised to tell you about Frisbee. Mm. I just like this one. I love Frisbees and playing with Frisbee. Don't know about you. We should all play more than we do. Yes, we should. Anyway, apparently in the 1950s, college students used to like playing catch with cake tins. They used to just improvise, really. So any kind of flying object. What period is this? And pie pans, 1950s. They sometimes used the pie pans from the Frisbee Pie Company of New England. When one company bought the rights to that plastic disc, I guess it was, or maybe not plastic in those days, in 57, they respelled the name and then they made it official. That was F-R-I-S-B-I-E, I think, originally. I love that. Well... And that links nicely to the one I was going to mention, which was Lego. Oh, uh, more Latin. Well, or no? or an, initially an abbreviation of the Danish words leg got, L-E-G-G-O-D-T, oh, yes. which means play well. Ah. But you're right. The word Lego also means I put together in Latin. But apparently that was not in the minds of the company when they came up with the ah, name. Because Ludo, of course, means I play. Of course it does. Yes. Can I go back to cars? Please. Oh, I just love all these. So, uh, Sorry for bringing back to the automotive industry, but it's just lovely, some of these things. Volvo, more Latin, I roll, mm-hmm. because it was a product of a ball bearing company, oh. apparently. Do you yeah. know anything about the origin of Tesla? No. How's it going? Oh, gosh. <laughs> for those who have not been following this saga, in order to be right on and to keep, you know, to make uh, Greta Thunberg uh, feel that I was an okay older dude. I <laughs> followed the government's advice and got rid of my diesel car. I'd only bought a diesel car 25 years ago because the government told me to do so. And they were now telling me to get, go electric. So I thought, well, I haven't bought a car for 25 years. Let me run riot. And I bought a Tesla. Mm-hmm. It arrived on the 11th of December. On the 2nd of January, no, 2nd of February, seven weeks later, Funny noises from inside the Tesla and then dripping from underneath it. Something was wrong. Nice uh, Ms. Tesla, who we got hold of. <laughs> they kindly brought another older Tesla round as a substitute for us to have and took the, our new Tesla away. Whatever time it is now, where are we? We're already in March. We haven't heard a word since. 
Not a word. Apparently, they're waiting for spare parts. We have that uh, that much. Spare parts. Okay. That's a bit frustrating. What's the origin of the name Tesla? I've just looked it up for you because I didn't know this. Um, the founders were called Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpenning. So Elon Musk must have joined it later. Chose the name Tesla as a homage or homage. I don't quite like that pronunciation. To Nikola Tesla, who was a Serbian inventor and engineer, and he created the induction motor and alternating current power transmission. There you go. I'm reading that straight no, from okay. Wikipedia. But oh, no, business inside. People, I mean, like the Biro is a good example. Yes, of a, of a Laszlo. Laszlo Biro. Yes. Because he came, he came from Lots Hungary. Lots of eponyms. There, there are actually a lot of eponyms when it comes to brand names. Yeah. Um, what about Kellogg? Kellogg's. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been around since Victorian times, I think. Mm. The, 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 the word, the urban myth was that the Welsh harpish a harpist, Nancy Richards, visited Will Kellogg when he was looking for a marketing idea for his cereal, and she suggested a cockerel as a play on the Welsh word for the bird Kellogg, mm. uh, C-E-I-L-O-G. Do you think there's any truth in that? Um, Kellogg is a, is a cockerel in Welsh? I have no idea. That's I need why to ask the... my friend Gethin that one. Yeah. Um, I can tell you about granola. Oh, do? Um there was a, a health sanitarium in upstate New York run by Dr. James C. Jackson. And he created something called granula for his patients. And he formed it by breaking up twice baked whole grained flour that was quite granular in appearance and texture. And it was Kellogg who decided, oh, that sounds good, but I'm going to call it granola, which of course is where we ended up with today. If you're listening to this and you either disagree or you know yes, better than us, yes. which wouldn't be difficult in this particular instance, do feel free to get in touch. You can email us at purple at somethingelse.com and something else is spelt something else without the G. Something else is one word, dot com. I've we, got something for you. Oh, yes? Bisto. A Bisto? Mm, Bisto. Mm, I love that. Remember that? Of course, I remember this that. This is, again, a very British ad. I'm sorry we're being, we're being quite Brito-centric here, aren't we? Um, apologies no. for that. Mars, Kellogg's, okay, true. Dr. Brandles Pills. We've been international, global. Okay. Bisto was the name, or is it still the name of a gravy? Yes, Instant gravy powder. Bisto is an acronym. Did you know this? Browns instantly, seasons and thickens in one. I think that sounds like a retrospective. A backronym, probably. Yeah, oh, that's what they call backronyms. Backronyms. Okay, I can give you a non-apocryphal one then. Because the sound is so good, bestow. Bestow. It bestows something marvellous. Sounds on you, a bit bestow. like bistro, which is one of the big etymological mysteries of the English language. Nobody knows the origin of bistro. Well. It may go back to Russian soldiers visiting cafes in Paris who would say, and I, my Russian is very patchy, but would say bistro, bistro. I mean, quick, quick, quick. That's one possible. Because one sometimes sees bistro as in the restaurant or the co- spelt with a T on the end. B-I-S-T-R-O-T. Yes. Bistro. That's how it is in French. And I think we drop the T. Very good. I think that's where it comes from. Bovril, I can tell you about. This is quite a picturesque history, this one. Um, and it starts, you're asking how far back either brand names or the inspirations for them go. Well, this one started not with ancient Greek mythology like Nike, but with Napoleon III, who needed a way to feed his shoulders his soldiers during the um, Franco-Prussian War, mm-hmm. I guess that must have been. And he ordered a million cans of beef from Britain, but there just wasn't enough to meet his demand. So they created over here, in fact, it was in Scotland, in Edinburgh, a new derivative product, which this butcher called Johnston's Fluid beef 
which doesn't sound very appetising. But he was reading a novel by... Now, how do you pronounce this, Giles? Edward Bulwer-Lytton. Okay, there you go. He wrote something called The Coming Race, which was a kind of utopian piece of sci-fi, really successful in the 1870s when this was. Essentially, in the story, the narrator goes deep into a mind, stumbles across this mystical, peaceful people who have learned to live without any envy or sort of vice at all and in sheer harmony with their fellow men and women. And they said this was due to a mystical source of energy, which they called vril. Sounds very Tolkien-esque. And Johnston took that, the Latin word for ox, which was bos, B-O-S, chopped off the last consonant and added some vril. This is a mystical quality imparted by the drink of Bovril. Oh, I just Such love... Such a lovely story. Do you know, I just love being with you because I learn so much. We learn so much too from the people who listen to our podcast. Val T from mm. Canberra, which I think I'm correct in saying is the capital of Australia, has been in touch. Dear Giles and Susie, in this week's episode, Susie wondered why the search engine Yahoo... Y-A-H-O-O, was called that. Yes, we talked about Gulliver's Travels, didn't we? And, well, according to Val T from Canberra, it's an acronym Ah. made up by the creators of Yahoo for yet another hierarchical, object-orientated oracle. Do you think this is a backronym again? Yet another hierarchical, object-orientated oracle. Possibly. I mean, maybe it was simultaneous. I don't know. I can't otherwise know, understand why they went to Gulliver's Travels, though. But, you know, Starbucks went to Moby Dick again, didn't they? No, but but they're saying that they never went to... They, they just oh, thought so of Yahoo just... and, and came oh, up with it. Okay. I mean, she does... Val does say, I don't know what a hierarchical object-orientated oracle is. Mm. We have a lovely email from Andrew Steele. Namaste from Kathmandu, where I've been residing since 2001. Thanks and admiration for your splendiferous podcast, which fills me with joy and glee every Tuesday. Thank you, Andrew. So he's wondering about the origin of two expressions of surprise. One is, oh, my giddy aunt, which is something that my mum uses a lot. And, well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs. I like that as well. Have you heard that one? I've never heard that. It's quite northern, that one. I think, tell tell us where you're from, Andrew, but I think it's quite northern. First of all, giddy aunt. I can't remember if I've mentioned where giddy comes from. It was first used of someone thought to be possessed by a god. So giddy is a sibling of god. Uh, It was Giddish in Old English. Essentially, someone who was frantic, acted in a kind of confused, bewildering, head-swimmy way, was thought to be possessed by one of these gods. There was also Elfish at this time, which meant possessed by an elf, which also made you behave in a slightly strange way. Then it eventually came to mean sort of vertigo and, yeah, not quite being very focused. Why aren't has been chosen. I mean, aunts have long been chosen for these kind of exclamations like, oh, my sainted aunt. Heard that oh. one before. So maybe it's only a matter of time before giddy and aunt came together as a sort of euphemism for, oh, my God, oh, my giddy aunt. But God is definitely there in the giddy. So it's another euphemism for yes, God. Yes, it's one of those. And I'll go to the foot of our stairs. I have tried and tried and tried to work this one out and I can't. So again, if any of our listeners have any ideas, I would love to know. I mean, maybe it's just like, well, I'm so surprised I'll fall down the stairs. Mm. That, that seems to be the general gist of it. Nancy Vitavi has been in touch. Love your podcast. Thank you. I look forward to each episode. Thank you very much. Oh. Like a hairy mouth looks forward to gorming. 
Ah, that's a good term hairy, phrase. A hairy mouth. What's that mean? Well, that must be a Californian term. I don't know. Uh, yeah, She's from no. California. Yes, yeah, she is. The best part of California, Northern California. Mm. A hairy mouth looks forward to gorming. Well, okay, well, gorming is just looking very vacant, as we know. Now, Nancy Vitavi asks, when and why did kids come to mean human children? Was it merely a metaphor? Mm. If so, why kids and not pups, cubs well, or kittens? It's a really... Good question. And it's just one of those idiosyncrasies of the English language. It it was, of course, originally, as it still refers to the children of goats, but I guess before, because they are full of capers, which comes from the Latin caprine, meaning goat-like, and because they prance about, maybe it seemed more fitting than cubs and kittens. But quite often you will find pet names for kids who say, oh, my kitten or other animal metaphors are available. But yes, it was a metaphor. And I'm just looking now to see when it started. But I think we're going to be looking back quite a few centuries. That's that's my guess. There's a pause now while Susie Dent okay. looks back quite a few centuries. <laughs> Nancy ponders if it was, in fact, the word was derived from kinder or kinder. Mm, I don't think so. So kinder in German, child, um, obviously, but I don't think that's related to kid here. Um, Kinder is actually related to kind and to kin because to be kind originally was to behave in a polite way to your fellow sort of kin, if you like. Um, So that was the first meaning of the adjective kind. So that's where kinder childlike takes you because... People who generally are childlike and innocent are kind. I love a kinder egg, by the way. I do. Yes, that's going to be my Easter is always to get a kinder egg or two. Oh, nice. You know? Okay, I'll bring you one of those. So do we have any idea why we've turned to kids instead of pups, cubs and kittens? Well, just because of their sort of, you know, capery, capering nature, I think, playful nature. Um, And you also asked Nancy when. It was the early 19th century, I think. So, yeah. It goes back a few centuries. Speaking of people with a playful nature, mm. uh, our own Gully, who we always credit at the end of the programme, I always ask, what does he do? Well, obviously he sits there scratching his head because he left when we arrived today on the table here a question for you about two words, antler and antennae. Oh. Antlers obviously come out of your head and antennae is a kind of, well, you know what it is. It's, it sort of sticks up and you use it to communicate with. Hmm. Uh, is the ant in antler and antennae in any way connected? Antler, we don't know where the ant comes from. It's, we know that it's French, entouillet, which was, it means the same thing, but no one quite knows the etymology of that one. And it doesn't appear, Gully, to be linked to antennae. Um, and actually, antennae goes back to sails because in ancient Greek, their version of antennae were the horns both of insects and also of a ship's sail. Uh, so it was all to do with being up high. But no, there didn't seem to be any etymological connection between antlers and an antennae. But the work still goes on. The work goes on, and if you want to contribute to it, it's purple at somethingelse.com. Now, this is the point in our podcast when Susie reveals to us her words of the week, a trio. What have you got for us today, Susie? Well, I have one that's inspired by the goddess of victory. It's Nike Hedonia. Um, So you spell that Nike, N-I-K-E, and then H-E-D-O-N-I-A. And it is the pleasure of the anticipation of success. Ooh, I love that. Nike So you can be a Nike hedonist if you want to be. Lovely. Looking forward to the great things to come, the triumphs ahead. It may may be specific. You may be at an Arsenal match and looking forward to the success of the game or, yes, generally in life. It's quite Nike hedonia. Oh, yes. I like that. 
Useful one for Scrabble. You mentioned Scrabble. Xerts. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I pronounce that with a kind of German German uh, accent. Xerts. So X-E-R-T-Z. X-E-R-T-Z. It's simply the act of gulping something down quickly. Oh, what I do... (laughs) I'm not sure about that one. I take vitamin pills. Because I'm a veggie, don't ask me why. I take all these supplements. Mm. So I've got a whole load of supplements that are kindly lined up for me to take. Yes. And some of them are pretty big. And so I have to gollop them down. That would be... You're searching. I'm searching. Yes. X-E-R-T-S. T-Z. Oh, T-Z. Yes. Oh, it's a brilliant Scrabble word. Because you get eight for the X and ten for the Z. And it's just five letters long. Oh, I like that. That's going into my next game. Have you got a third word for us? Yes. This one always sounds slightly rude to me, but it's the adjective relating to breakfast. So I mentioned my full English, slightly vegan version. Gentacular. It was a gentacular (laughs) treat. It sounds rude, doesn't it? It does. How how do you spell the gent? J-E-N-T. Ah, J. <laughs> Gentac. Why is what's the? How's that derived? It's, just, it's just from the from the Latin relating to breakfast. Well, they were nickel nickel. Nicodonia, I see, or Nicodonia. Nicodonia, zerts, and jink. Gentacular. Gentacular. Three very easy words <laughs> to remember. My quotation of the week. I've been rereading, going back to George Bernard Shaw, mm. who I've decided is a very, very great man and a wonderful playwright. And I had a very busy weekend. And a friend of mine said, oh, God, why do you cram your weekends with things? Why don't you take a day off? I'll tell you why. It's because years ago I came across this line from the great George Bernard Shaw. The only way to avoid being miserable is not to have enough leisure to wonder whether you are happy or not. Oh, I like that. That's a lot for this week. That's a lot. We'll be back next Tuesday, though you can tune in at, to us any time. Podcast is available everywhere. And please, if you've enjoyed us, give us a nice review. Recommend us to a friend. If you've got a question, you know, want to get in touch, as you know, purple at somethingelse.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Paul Smith, Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and Gully. Fancy a a cup of pre-digestive tips? Oh, very good. That's enough.